Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the sufficient help and uh, the privilege we have to be together, to study your word, give us uh, strength, attention, energy, help us to be able to meditate on your word and uh, to remember what we learn and uh, to be uh, moved by your spirit to uh, greater obedience and <coughs> obedience from the heart and may we be uh, better uh, better parents better counselors for those who um, those whom you will place on our on our path and uh, more obedient children and uh, saved children for those who are here and who will listen amen, amen. so today the topic is the the biblical family. It's very very exciting topic. Uh, everyone needs to know about the biblical family because it's um, it's part of life. We encounter people who will be uh, uh, counseled by us by some words of life or words of uh, trouble. I've heard uh, many people give me uh, words that were not good counsels. When, uh, when I was younger, even up to this day. So we need to know what God says about the family. If you are uh, not yet married, maybe you will be married, and uh, you need to know about those things. If you, are, um, if you have parents, you need to know what we're going to talk about. And uh, it does not even stop after you leave the home for some of the aspects. And so let's, um, let's look at this beautiful passage that uh, God has for us today. We'll study again Ephesians chapter 6, um, just like Pastor Grady did it last week. We'll have a, a second round on Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. But before we go there, I would like for us to turn to Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. We are going to see two things in verse uh, 13 through 15. We are going to see the summary of what marriage is. And secondly, we are going to see... What is supposed to be the result of a marriage? So Malachi chapter 2, it's a rebuke from God <coughs> for the leadership of the Old Testament. And there are general principles about the family. So Malachi 2.13, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? And this is where we learn critical things about the family. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So we stop here and we see that when there is the union of two, verse 15, did he not make them one? This is uh, echoing Genesis 2 when God said the man will leave his father and mother and will be uh, cleaving to his wife and they will be one. <coughs> this is the marriage. And he says that when that happens, when there is a marriage, there is a witness. Usually they are human witnesses. For one, the parents know that there is the leaving and there is the commitment and they have advised the children and hopefully they have followed that advice. Um, 
especially if, it, if it's biblical parents, they would have a lot of things to say that the children would be uh, doing well to listen to. So here it says that the Lord was the witness. So the Lord is the main witness. He sees, not only that, he makes a 2-1, but then it says at the end of verse 14 that there is a covenant. So when someone becomes married, they actually make a covenant. That is, they, they make a promise, a promise that's binding for life. And so that's what it is. It's not just something that's um, a relationship and you can stop it at any time. It's a covenant for life. And God is the witness. And what is the, what is the uh, outcome that God expects? We see that in verse 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? So we see that in Christian marriage, God is at work. And what was the one God seeking in this union? What is God seeking in a family? Well, it says it right after that. A godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So what God wants is godly kids. That's what he wants. He wants to have godly, a godly offspring. And so this ought to be the top priority. My priority is not to grow kids who become rich, who have a great job, who are great at sports. All those things, they could be used by God and they could be good. But in the end, they don't really matter. What matters is that we have godly offspring. We have children who know the Lord, who are godly, who are obedient to God. And so that's really why God made the family. God made the family so that the earth will be full of His glory, of image bearers who reflect Him. And so if we have children and we do not seek them in the way of making them godly, seeking their good spiritually, then in the end, we're not serving the purposes of God. So that's really the beautiful encouragement and our prayer that God would make our family godly and our offsprings godly. So with that in mind, we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we will read verses 1 through 4. So as you turn there, we learn two things. There's a covenant when someone is married, and two, God is the witness and wants a godly offspring. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I'm going to try to emphasize uh, some of the things that um, I had prepared that uh, would be... Um, different emphases from Pastor Grady's teaching last week. Uh, we have um, a lot of things in this passage. In fact, I, I don't feel like at the end we will have covered all the things that I wanted, but I'll try to give you uh, as much as I can in a memorable way. So they are, we will see this passage in three parts. The first is there are two commands for children. Two commands. The second part is there is one promise for children. And the third part is two commands for fathers. 
Alright, so let's start with the two commands for children. Obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. And we don't even have to go too far. You just have to stop at the first word. And we can talk for half an hour. It says children. So you stop here. And you think about this word. Number one, he, that is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he assumes that there will be children. He assumes it. He talked about marriage in chapter 5, and then he talks about children. In the Bible, it is assumed that people will have children. Yesterday, I um, recounted a little anecdote at a wedding. Let me tell it to you. One day, I came to a Bible study, and there were two young folks in there around 25, and they were married for several years. And, uh, you know, I just came to talk to them and learn about them. And I asked them, oh, so you have children? They said, no. And then they said, oh, we don't know what is the will of God. So then I, I gently told them, well, I know the will of God. If you turn to Genesis chapter 1, God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So here you have it. That's the will of God. God wants us to have a godly offspring and fill the earth. He wants us to have children. And so here we go. We find God saying children. He assumes that they will be children. And in our generation, people do not want to have children. Many people. Many people. Many people are in their 30s. They don't want to get married. They don't want to have children. But this is going against the plan of God. It's actually a joyful thing to have children. And as for all the joys of life, it comes also challenges and uh, sadness. But that does not mean it's not a huge joy. It is a blessing from God. And so it is assumed that we will have children. And it should be our thought. And that's why we study it today, because it's going to be a big part of our lives and uh, we need to know as much as we can and ask God to help us to be good parents, to be good children, and to be prepared for the life that is uh, in front of us. <coughs> One quick note about that as well. You will notice that in the New Testament, the letters, the epistles, they were actually in manuscripts, so it would be like a roll. And then they would be brought by a trusted man. He will bring it, or sometimes a lady. And he will bring it to the church. And, um, you know, they couldn't just type the email and send it quickly. That didn't exist, right? So the, there would be someone bringing the letter. And then the letter, as we read in other epistles, would be read before all the congregation on the Sunday morning. So here we see children addressed right away. That teaches us that children were in the church meeting. So now... We have talked about the word children. Now let's move on to the next parts. Children, obey your parents. So we have seen that one of the ways we see that we are filled with the Holy Spirit is what follows Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about the results. And it says, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs giving thanks, so singing, praying, and then submitting. And then we saw, first, there must be a godly marriage. <coughs> and today we see the submission of the children to the parents. And next week there will be the submission of the slaves to the masters. So we see that submission is a good thing. Uh, we were in the car this morning and there's this song that's uh, um, inspired from a, an old hymn that says, perfect submission all is at rest. I and my Savior are happy and blessed. You know, if everyone submits in the universe, 
it will be a restful place, a happy place. Submission is a good thing, it's a beautiful thing. Um, we saw it, it's all over creation, it's in all the orders of society. And uh, submission is always connected with obedience. There's no such thing as someone who is submitted who does not obey. That's actually how we submit, by obeying. If we obey the government, we submit to the government. If we obey Christ, we submit to Christ. And if the children are obedient to their parents, they are submitting to their parents. <coughs> so it's really a beautiful thing. If everything in the universe was submitted to the authority that God has placed on top of them, it would be, well, it would be what's going to happen uh, in the future, really, when there is the new heavens and the new earth, when there is all at rest, no more death, just perfect joy. So when we hear obedience, we have to see that as good news and beautiful. So one of the things I'm, I'm going to mention here is that <coughs> the best thing that a father can do for his children is to love his wife. To love his wife. That's one of the best things that I can do. And one of the best things that a wife can do for her children is to submit to her husband. And like it says for Sarah, uh, to obey him. And it says in everything. And we actually see that in all the submission passages that we saw. In Colossians 3, the parallel passage, it says, children obey your parents in everything. And masters, slaves say, it says, uh, submit to your masters in everything. Just as the church submits in everything to Christ, the wife is to submit in everything. So it's, it's everywhere. There's this beautiful pattern. And so therefore, when the husband loves his wife, he actually reflects the union between God and the church to the world and to his children. And he is actually... Because marriage is a picture of this uh, spiritual reality. It's a lower picture of the grand union between God and the church. When we have a godly marriage, we reflect God. And what do we do as well? We inspire our children to do the same. When the children learn to obey their fathers, their father and mother, their parents, they learn to obey God and they reflect this obedience that Jesus Christ the Son of God had for his father and so as I love my wife I become more Christ-like as I submit to the Heavenly Father as my wife submits to me she also reflects the church uh, submitting to Christ and she also reflects Christ and as the children obey their parents, they reflect Christ and they learn to be obedient outside of the home when they go on in life because they have learned that it's a matter of the heart. I'm reading a book, it's called Parenting is Heart Work. Heart Work. It's a very good book, it's very encouraging. And uh, you know, one of the verses that I remembered reading the book is in, <coughs> it's actually in Romans chapter 6, and the verse says that we used to be slaves of sin and we became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that we heard. Uh, I know in, in, in America we, we have because of the freedoms we have we challenge authority mm -hmm. and we don't see that God places those authorities as you know in our lives 
you know, whether it's police officers, teachers, parents, government, whatever it is down the line. And I think because of the way society sees the challenging of authority as as not an issue, where biblically it is, you you don't you're supposed to submit. I think that's a you know a big a big thing in all relationships, all that's the way right. down. You know, whether it be a husband or I mean, wives and yep. husbands, I mean, all the way down. So I know that's something I've worked on thinking about God's place that authority in my life, and it's not something that you know it's not out of God's control that He's done that. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So that's why we really need to emphasize that in our generation, because we are a very uh, insubmissive generation. We just reject authority. We resist authority uh, all the time. And then it, it just by the sheer fact that it happens so much. I'll give you an example. Lot, he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says he was a just man who was constantly just having issues in his mind about what was being done. I won't give the details, but you might remember what actually Lot decided to do with his daughters. And what happened after he left and he went to the mountain. What was that about? It, was, it had infiltrated his mind and his kids' mind so much that they did things that were just horrible. How could they do that? Well, because they were in, infected by the society. So if we think, oh, I have no issues with authority, I submit, I obey, no problem, we're just fools. We are in a godless society and we are infected by it. So we need to be constantly reevaluating and recommitting to what we're supposed to do. And again, obedience is a good thing. And the point I'm trying to make is it's got to be obedience from the, from the heart. You became obedient from the heart. So when we talk about children obey your parents, we're talking about obeying from the heart. That means that I actually do things with a heart that pleases God. I have to ask God to help me to obey from the heart. Because if I don't obey from the heart, I may be obeying my parents in some limited way right now, but I'm actually not obeying God, and I'm actually partially uh, disobeying, and this means that there is some sin there. So now, another thing. When we talk about obedience, and you know, when we talk about Bible principles, we all fall short. But that does not mean that we should not look at the principle straight in the eyes and say, okay, this is what God commands. And so what I want you to remember, the children and also the parents, even though it's a challenge, <coughs> is that what we're talking about here is first time obedience. First time obedience. So if I say something to my son, let's say, I said it. That's it. It's got to be done right now. And it's going to be done because I said so. I do not have to come back and say it a second time. If I do, he just disobeyed. Because this is called first time obedience. You're told something, you do it right away. And this is something that we need to learn. That means that it's not like after the third time I ask that there are all going to be consequences. It's going to be the first time because you got to learn to obey right away. Now imagine you are at work. And then you're doing something and your boss comes and says, okay, uh, for tomorrow I want you to do this. And then, you know, the next day and then you didn't do it. You think it's going to go well with you? It's not going to go well with you. You have to learn to obey the first time. Because if you did not understand, you should ask for clarifications. If you're not sure you got that right, you should just make sure. So you're saying that, that I should do this, right? Do you mean that or this? Yeah, that's fine, you're clarifying. But if you heard it loud and clear, and you're not doing it, you just disobey. 
And I'm going to tell you, at work, it really will not go well with you. And that's why the passage says there's a promise, so that it may go well with you. Because guess what? If you don't obey your parents, it's going to be bleeding in your life in trouble after trouble. You need to obey the first time. So first time obedience. So that means that uh, as parents, it's a little bit challenging because that means every single time that there's not the follow-up through the instructions immediately, well, it means we need to engage in that situation. We cannot just let it go because otherwise we're just training the kids to obey after the third time, fourth time, after we count up to 10 or a thousand. No, it's going to be immediate. And uh, it's a challenge. It's difficult, but it needs to be done because this is what obedience really looks like and we need to teach them that and also in life if they actually do that oh man they're gonna be first of all if they really do that they are Christians and second of all they're gonna be blessed you know the people at work you tell them to do something and you can count on them this is gonna get done this is as if it was done this guy he always does it well you can know he's gonna it's gonna go well with him and your friends you know you say something to your friends in life and you never follow through, they are going to be like, they don't trust you. You say something like, oh, I don't know. You know, they like, you don't care about them because you're not actually doing things. So it's actually super important for life. First time obedience. Not to challenge your authority in what you're saying, because then it got placed you. But <laughs> um, God is patient with us as, as, as the Father. He's very patient with us. And I think there's a, there is a, a a balance with as a parent, and I, I get what you're saying, but I, I think there's a, 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 a tendency to go over on that mm -hmm. and be very you know, <coughs> needing to understand and learn patience as a parent as well. Is, is you mm -hmm. know, yes, we expect, sure, you know, you know what I mean. Yes, I mean, it's going to depend on what it is and uh, how it happens, <laughs> and we have to be wise. Uh, but the point is this if we do not set clear rules and we do not enforce the rules, well, you can be sure the rules are never going to be followed. It's not going to happen. You have to mean business. You have to try. And um, another thing is, um, and again, it's something that we all have to improve, but mom and dad have to be on the same page. If dad says, you got to do this, I just said it, and then um, mom actually lets it go for 10 times before something happens, well, you know, it's not going to work well. Uh, you have to have the same standards and try to apply them um, consistently. Yeah, I, I, I think that as a mom, um, sometimes we parents can make everything a rule to where it is basically extremely difficult for a child to, you know what I mean? And yeah. And then make everything then at the end of the day, right. almost like everything loses its meaning. So to your point, I think mom and dad need to be on the same page. And there are, there are certain, like there are rules and there are other things that, and then mom and dad need to decide what. Because if everything is a rule, yeah. Then, like even us, you know, if everything were to be a like, Right. Yeah, there's this pastor by the name of uh, Doug Wilson, and I think he has a very good example of family. So I'm learning from him, and he says we should we should have as fewer rules as possible. Um, so I, I think you know there's some wisdom there um, to kind of focus on the big things. And um, um, you know, if you if you one of the rules of your house is no disobedience. You know, it's like one rule, it's one golden rule. It's going to impact a lot of many things, right? Um, I mean, seriously, right? Well, Dad, you didn't say I couldn't do this or that. Well, but I said no disobedience, and you know that I, I wouldn't approve of that, so why are you doing it? See, the, the kids are smart, right? If you just give them uh, very specific rules about specific things, they're just going to go around it. Yeah. You can have principles, and then they know what to do. 
right? And then if they generally didn't know, then you get to explain, okay, actually this principle, it pays out this way, because think about the consequences, you know? And so then we can teach them, so that, again, then later in life, they can also think about principles and then apply them, because there's no way on earth we're going to cover all the specifics, and that's not even how the Bible works, because God knows better. He gives principles. Mm -hmm. um, do you think it is the parents' responsibility if a child is safe or not? No. Uh, okay, I want to make sure. Yeah, so we, we are, uh, in this church, we are uh, Calvinists. That means we believe that God is sovereign over salvation. We basically believe the Bible. And God is the one who changes the heart. We cannot give a new heart to anyone. Uh, so God is the one who is sovereign over everything, including salvation. That's why it says in Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord. He's the one who changes the heart and gives the Holy Spirit. Because that's what happens when you become saved. You have the Holy Spirit. Well, I cannot send the Holy Spirit on anybody. Um, that doesn't work like that. Only the apostles could do that by the laying out of hands at the beginning of the church to show that they were apostles. But they are no longer apostles today. So no, we can't. However, we of course are going to be used by God as means to accomplish His purposes. So for example, we should pray for our kids all the time that they become saved because God answers prayer and He uses our prayers to save our kids. And He also uses what we do and what we follow in His Word because God rewards obedience and especially obedience of parents. And so uh, this is where we stop. We shouldn't think, oh, what did I do wrong if I have four kids saved and one who is not, as if, you know, I was the one changing the situation. I'm not, so if I'm faithful and I'm trying to do my best to obey God and I also trust in God, then I leave it into His hands. <coughs> so one of the verses we're gonna see today, uh, let's turn there and, and then I'll, uh, you, you want to make the comment now? Uh, I was just like thinking it's good that you also talked about uh, when the kid does something um, that he knew that like, they aren't super with. Um, because, well, we say that the Bible is not exhaustive, but at the same time it is because mm -hmm. maybe I'm going ahead uh, of kind of because <coughs> the obedience part, as you were saying, but there's the second comment, which is honor, you know. Mm -hmm. So I know teenagers sometimes yeah. like to argue, well, you didn't say that, so it's not like really disobedience. So then like, but what do you do with the honor? If you do something that you knew that I was disagreeing with, then you're dishonoring me, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it was, I just thought it's beautiful how the Bible yeah. put it like that, you know, because obey, honor. Right. They go together. Yep, so before we go to the word honor, um, please turn to Proverbs 22, 6. <coughs> I'm just going to flash one, one uh, verse that we're going to refer to later on in the training paths for the fathers. Proverbs 22, 6. It's one of the, the key verses in the Bible about parenting. And what I will highlight is that it's a proverb, it's not a promise. But the proverb still has a lot of power, and we should... Uh, understand this one a lot. Yeah. So, uh, 22 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So this is saying, you got to train your kids to be obedient, to be a loving God, uh, to be following what is right, to be obeying you. And uh, you have to teach them of what to do next in life. And if you do that, when they become older, 
they will follow it. They will not depart from what you've told them. Now that's a proverb, and therefore it is most of the time going to happen. Uh, but there are also um, there are also proverbs that say, "I've never seen the person stressed in the Lord lack bread." Well, that's because usually if you work, then you will have what you need. But of course, there are exceptions where sometimes someone who is dedicated to the Lord, he doesn't have food and he's helped. And in the same way here, you may have parents who are training the kids the way they should go, uh, but some of them, they will decide to uh, reject the law. Mm -hmm. So this is not a promise, it's a proverb, but this is still a proverb. And it, it is going to be true in most cases, and we oh, again, we take the exceptions as exceptions. Mm -hmm. They are exceptions to the rule. So the rule is, if we actually train them, they are going to go that way. So it's very important to train our kids. So now we go to the word honor, and I have to try to um, be efficient here. Uh, before we go to the word honor, here are the rationales for obedience, all the motivations. So listen up, motivations. Motivations for obedience. Obey your parents because it pleases God. Don't you wanna please God? Do you wanna please God? I'm talking to the kids. The Anyone from zero to 20. Do you want to please God? Well then obey your parents. Obey your parents, secondly, because it is the right thing to do. Right? Just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. If everyone else is not doing the right thing, just stand out and do the right thing. You have to add also, unless you left your parents yeah, 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 I know, I know. I did, I, with a big smile for 20. <laughs> right, right. I think I, told, I talked about that before. So, thirdly, there are promises and rewards for obedience. See, the Bible says that God, He blesses obedience. He really does. In spiritual and material things. Now, in the passage that we read, it says, so that it may go well with you. It's actually a quote, and we're going to see that from Deuteronomy and from the Ten Commandments. So it will go well in your life if you obey your parents and you listen to your parents and you learn the right things to do in life. It will go well with you. So in the Old Testament, if children were disobedient and they were doing things that were scandalous, what happened to them? They had the death penalty. Death penalty. Do you, do you hear that? You got to hear that. In the Old Testament, children who had scandalous disobedience, they were actually killed. There was capital punishment. And you see, God in the Bible, His standard of morality, it stays the same because good and bad, good and wrong, good and evil, they do not change. Now, the enforcement of some consequences changes because of the dispensations. So in the Old Testament, there was this theocracy so they were going after the law of Moses, and this, is what the, this was the law of Moses. So today, we're not practicing the law of Moses. For example, someone who did not practice the Sabbath, he was also uh, liable to capital punishment. We don't practice the Sabbath today because uh, Christ is our rest. He's our Sabbath. We no longer have the Sabbath. So there are changes of the applications because we are in the, in the uh, United States of America with the political system. That's not like the Jewish state of old. But that still tells us that God hates disobedience so much and it's so horrible for society, it is so horrible for your siblings, that in the Old Testament if a child was having scandalous disobedience, 
he was actually stoned. So you think God cares about obedience? Oh, yes, he does. He says it will go well with you. And in the Old Testament, that meant you may actually die if you do not obey the Lord. You're not going to live long. But if you obey, it will go well with you and you will have long days in the land. See, it was very straight on point. And Paul uses that and he's saying, see, it's still valid. People who do nonsense and they grow up and they steal and they do all kinds of evil things, guess what? They may, they may be killed. They may be just doing so many things that are wrong for their health that they are not going to have such a long life. They may just not be able to keep a job. They've never listened to their dad to learn how to work hard. And so they're just lazy people. They cannot hold a job. Right? They just are so bad. They cannot talk well to their sisters. They grow up. Then they cannot have a relationship. They end up, uh, uh, you know, alone and having all kinds of trouble with everyone. No. We have to learn that there, is a there are lots of rewards for obedience. It will go well with you. You will have a blessed life. And that does not mean everything will be perfect, but still, this is, a, this is a, a principle, like a proverb. One more time. You resemble Jesus when you obey, who obeyed his Father in everything, when you obey your parents. <coughs> you train yourself to obey God when you will be outside of your parents' home. Honor your parents. So the obedience to parents lasts until you leave your home. For example, if you're still paying, um, if they are still paying for your roof, you're still, you know, using their their home, or if they are paying for your car insurance or your phone bills, if you're not independent and you are not outside of the home, you are under the the responsibility of your parents, and you obey your parents. You do what they say. You do what they want. You do what they prefer, because you're still under them. When you leave the home, then now. You have to way, continue the way that you should go, that you have been trained. And you have to, of course, uh, look at the scriptures because they have told you that it's not about me, it's about what God says, and God has given you the Bible. So now, fly with your own wings and follow the Lord. However, the honor piece does not stop when you leave the home. The honor piece continues for life. How do we know? We know because Jesus in Mark chapter 7 and other passages <coughs> we talked about it several weeks ago uh, he said to the Pharisees you are disobeying the word of God how so because you say to the people who are under your leadership the Jews you tell them you cannot give to your parents any financial money because you owe it to the synagogue and Jesus says you by doing this by following this tradition, you render void or you disobey the word of God because God says, honor your father and mother. And when it says in 1 Timothy 5, honor widows, it means you financially support them. And it says that so that, quote, the church will not be burdened, only some widows qualified. You know, the church is not burdened by prayer or lip service. The church is burdened by financial help. That's what it means right there. And then when it says, the elders, that is the pastors, who are preaching and teaching and ruling well, so those are multiple categories, they are worthy of double honor because the laborer is worthy of his wage. So the honor means financial, practical help. And so God says, honoring your father and your mother means you're going to take care of them for all their life as need arise. You're not going to let them be in, uh, in disarray, in need, uh, you know, uh, just helpless. No, 
Because if you do, First Timothy says, you're worse than the pagans. Because look, even the pagans, even the, the non-Christians, they know. They're not going to let their parents like that. They're going to help them out. And so how, can you, how are you going to listen to me? Kids, look at me. How are you going to help your parents out if you don't even have a job? Did you hear that? How are you going to help your parents out if you're not even saving a penny? You're spending all your money on anything. No. Your parents are going to teach you to save, to invest, to do whatever is right, to give. And then you have enough to give to those in need, including your parents. And so therefore, honoring your parents does not stop when you leave the home. It continues for life. So honoring your parents is multifaceted. It means, for instance, obeying your parents from the heart and not just actions with the wrong attitude, just like we said, obeying with the heart. Honoring your mom and dad means never doing something, listen, that would shame them. Everyone, listen. You have to honor your parents. What does it mean? It means never shame them. Never do anything that brings dishonor to them. Let me put it this way. Don't make anything that makes your family look bad. See that? That's what it means. So just think about who you represent. You represent your parents. So you have to honor them. Do not make them look bad. Bring honor to them. That's what it means. It is beautiful. And so here's the promise. It will go well with you. We kind of talked about it too. So can you think of a recent example we heard in Pastor Grady's teaching <coughs> or a, another elder's teaching that tells us about someone who left the home and did not follow his parents' teaching? Yes. Here we go, the prodigal son. What did he do? That's right. So first of all, he was a fool. He did not honor his dad because it was not the right time for him to get such responsibility. Second of all, he wasted it. And he didn't just waste it, did he? He wasted it how? Unrighteous, <laughs> sinful desires. Yeah. So your parents are telling you, this is a waste of your life. Don't do this. You're going to destroy your life. Don't do this. Wait for marriage with the wife of your youth. God is your witness, be in a covenant, have kids. That's it. And he just went with the prostitutes. He wasted it and then it went very well with him, right? He was just like a pig. He was just miserable, right? He wasted. How many years did he waste? Many years of savings, many heartaches, many of his years. <coughs> he got a huge setback. And he brought dishonor to his dad. Did he not? So his dad still loved him. But look, you have a promise. Obey your parents. It will go well with you. You will live long. He could have been killed by robbers with all this cash. He was a fool. So don't be a fool. Obey your parents. Honor the Lord. Train to obey God. So that when you grow old, you will actually do something that's going to be good to please God. And it's going to be good for you. Because the fool thinks that what he does is actually good. Only to wake up later and realize <coughs> it was not. So you don't need to go through the hardship of life to learn lessons. Just learn it from the scriptures. Learn it from your parents. Do what's right. And it will go well with you. You will have a long life. 
Amen? All right, so now we turn to fathers. <coughs> Excuse um, before me. Before you go to yep. fathers, um, like the honor and obey, there's mm -hmm. nothing that says like, well, if your parents are good parents, then you obey and honor them. Or if your parents are bad parents, then you obey and honor them. Right. Um, of course, like, as children, if they, if they tell you to do something that mm -hmm. goes against that war, then right yeah thanks for bringing that up and the same would apply for your old older dad who has not been very um, very good example in life and now he's old he needs financial help you're like oh He's been not so good. It's not my business. Well, yes, it is. It's your dad. And so you need to take care of your parents. You need to take care of your family. And of course, that's going to be a great testimony of the prodigal God. Just like with the... Right? So we have to be like that. And this is a command. So very important, very practical. There's no one less, right? It doesn't say yeah. honor or obey unless yeah. they meet the standard. It's just in all things. Yeah. yeah. And the same with the wife husband relationship. It doesn't yeah. say, well, if your husband is like this, right. then in those instances, <coughs> you submit, but if these other instances, yeah. you don't. Right. Um, or even as a wife, sometimes may want to um, take on the leadership role mm -hmm. or kind of like focus our husband's certain things, yeah. which I don't think is necessarily that way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, in First Peter, it actually talks about the worst case scenario. If your husbands do not obey the word, you submit to them and you have a chaste behavior with, uh, it says, um, reverence or fear, uh, and, um, and then they will be one without a word, right? Um, so very clearly, uh, this, is, this is what God says, and uh, we have to learn and obey. So now, we're going to talk about that. Fathers, do not provoke your children but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So here he says, fathers, he could have said parents, he said so earlier, right? He could have said fathers or mothers, he said so earlier when he quoted, but he did not. So thus, uh, I note that God explicitly commands the men, the fathers, who are the heads of the wives and family to lead their home. That's what it says. Now, what we, did we see in Genesis 1 through 3? That the woman was made as a helper. And so they're on the same boat. They are on the same mission. They are one. And therefore, if the husband is tasked with that, then the wife is going to help. And so she's also going to be part of that. But that's dad's responsibility, first and foremost. So there's no business of the mom is doing all the teaching, the correcting, the admonition, and all of this. And dad is just sitting at home. He's just passive. He's just not at home. No. This is father's. He says, fathers, you do this. And even in the Psalms, my son, listen to your father's instruction. And as we are about to see, because I want to emphasize that it's, it's not just dad's job, but it is primarily the responsibility of the dad. <coughs> I'm going to quote a few Proverbs that shows that mothers are also teaching. Okay, so just listen on these ones. Proverbs 1, 7 through 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. 
for they are graceful garlands for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 6.20 My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. <coughs> Proverbs 31.1 The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. You know, in the Bible, we never see a woman that is teaching or teaching in the scriptures. But what do we see? We see a mom who taught his son, and his son taught, and he became scripture. That's, yeah, yeah, with his grandmother, yeah. So the moms, they teach, there's no question about it, they participate, but it is, again, it's the primary responsibility of the men. They are to lead their home. They cannot be like many men are today, at um, just uh, leaving it aside, being passive. No, they have to lead and they have to do what it says right there. And so, now, do you know what the word says here? It says they are to nurture. And the word is, in the Greek, catch this, it's the same word that Paul has used for husbands nurturing and cherishing their wives. Did you see that? He uses the same verb to say, Husbands, cherish and nourish your wife in the word that he uses for the kids and saying, Fathers, that's what you do for your kids. So when you are a husband, you learn to teach your wife the word of God, go through the scriptures and pray, daily devotion. And when you have kids, they get along and they tag along and you do family worship. And that's the dad to lead that. Of course, everyone participates, also we should, but the point is, that's his job. Now, I guarantee that to you, almost nobody does that today. In a consistent manner, I have heard it in very, very few places, that the men are actually shepherding their family, spiritually, and yet that's the one thing that God says to do. It's, it's very critical. That's what we have to do. Why? Because if you don't, then you're just teaching your kids just like any, any godless man would do. You're just teaching them to work hard, save money, and uh, you know, follow the rules. Like even the Pharisees do that. To borrow Jesus' words about those who say hello only to their friends, you've got to go beyond that. No, you have to have a godly offspring. How are you going to have a godly offspring? You have to teach them in the law. You have to teach them the fear and admonition of the law of the law. You have to teach them what the law says. That's what it means. So then we turn to one key passage. If somebody wants to volunteer and come here and read for us uh, Deuteronomy. Actually, I have the text right here. So maybe someone wants to come and just read from the, the computer. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. Thanks, Jonah. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to, to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God you and your son and your son's son by keeping it, all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long hear therefore, O Israel and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart 
You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thank you. So did you hear that? It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's right after the... Um, the Deuteronomy is the second law. It's the repetition of the law. In chapter 5, we have the Ten Commandments that are repeated. And then in chapter 6, this is what it says. It says, look, you have to learn to do what? First and foremost, you have to learn to... What is it? Verse 4. Yeah, love the Lord with all your heart. That's what it is about. Obey the Lord with all your heart. If you love me, you keep my commandments. You obey me. And then it says, fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's sons. It's got to be a family pattern that goes from one generation to the next. Follow the law and it will go well with you. You'll have a long life. And so that's really the command. And then it says, you listen to my parents. You've got to teach your kids to love the Lord, that there is one God. And then you have to every day, whether you are going to bed, you rise up, you're traveling, you're at home. You have to teach them the words of the Lord. That's the command. And how are you going to do that if you don't even read your Bible? How are you going to do that if you don't have a time where you actually daily say, we're going to worship the Lord together. I'm going to teach you, my son, what you should do. My daughter, I'm going to teach you. And we're going to pray to the Lord. We're going to love the Lord with all our heart. How is that going to happen? It's not going to happen. We need to be dedicated to family worship. And we, we I have so much more to say, but we'll... we'll I'm going to talk about correction briefly, and then we'll do family worship. So correction, physical correction is another thing that's mentioned there. It's the word that's used, like Pastor Rudy showed last week in Hebrews 12. It says correcting your children, disciplining them. <coughs> and this word is used in Hebrews 12, and it talks about your earthly fathers disciplined you for a time as they saw good. And then it says, but God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. So when we discipline our kids, we do what God does. Because if we don't, it's like we don't have real children. We just say, oh, they're not my kids. I don't care. I'm not going to do anything for them. No, because we want them. We want good for them. And we want them to share in the holiness of God. So they have to be disciplined. That's what it says. And so then let me quote some Proverbs from the Old Testament. Because uh, you need to hear this. Proverbs 13, 24, for everyone, listen up. Whoever spares the rod, that's basically a wooden rod, hates his son. So you, you don't actually discipline your son with spanking or a rod in the, in the back where it's bumpy. You don't actually do that. You hate your son. That's what it says. Do I hate my son? I love my son. I'm not going to let him grow without correcting him. He's not going to grow straight because nobody does. Why? Because we are all born with sin in our hearts. We're not Christians when we're born. We are enemies of God. And so the parent is to be an evangelist. The parent is an evangelist for his kids. And how is God seeking us? He corrects us. He makes us go through trouble. And then at some point we repent. He sends the good news as well. He's both correcting and teaching. So that's what we got to do. We got to correct our kids because they're not saved until they are saved. They're not born Christians, they become Christians when they are born again. So look at the words. Whoever, 
13.24 spares the rod, hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. First time obedience. You've got to learn it. Otherwise, what? You're going to divorce three times? You're going to go with like a woman who are not like your, your, your wife? You're going to just like steal five times and then the fourth time you're going to obey? You need to learn it. And, and we all sin. When I was a kid, I stole. Like that was bad. But you know, I repented. So we all need to grow and things happen in life. But nonetheless, the discipline is going to help our kids. We need to change. And so it says in 22.15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Do you see that? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So when the child is born, what he has in his heart is sin, folly, disobedience. He doesn't want to obey. And by the discipline, he's gonna, you're going to get that away from him. But you got to do that with love. We're not talking about child abuse. We're talking about wise. It's got to be dependent on what's being done. And, uh, you know, is that like the 10th time today that it was disobedient? So, it's, you know, we just have to try to be patient. And I believe that's why uh, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger because we are most tempted to lose it. And so that's why he says that. Because God teaches to the weakness. That's what he does. He teaches to the most important thing and to the weakness. So watch this. God teaches to our weakness and to the most important thing. So he says to wives, submit. Because that's the most important thing and that's the weakness. He teaches to fathers, love. As yourself. Because it's the most important thing in your weakness. And then he says, do not provoke them to anger. Because again, that's very important not to make them angry at God, angry at Christ, angry at scripture, angry at the church. Not cross this line, like MacArthur says. Um, and so we are tempted to do it. But we learn, we grow. Like, definitely, we, sometimes we, we just don't do that right. So we need to grow. But nonetheless, folly is there. You need to drive it away. And that's how you do it. This. You do this with the rod. And the last one. Watch this one. 23, 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Oh yes, it's painful. It says so in Hebrews, all discipline is painful. So if it's not painful, it's not discipline. Because that's what it is supposed to be. It's supposed to be like, son, it's not going to go well with you in life like that. It's going to be painful. So you're learning this right now. So it's painful, but it's not going to die. That's not the point. He's going to have this time of pain and suffering because he needs to learn that's not how you live. But do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Again, a proverb. And it's saying, you want him to be saved? He has fallen in his heart. He needs to be disciplined. And if you do that, he is be, he's going to be saved from early death, from um, damnation. You know, it's just a principle that if you teach and you live the life that God wants, then there will be the blessings of God. Although this is not a promise. Still, this is the best we have. This is what we have. This is the best we can do. So let us do it. Amen. And so on the uh, provoking, one more thing. <clears throat> I tracked the word down. And it's used of Israel being made jealous. Okay. So this word provoking is, it also implies being made angry because of jealousy that's generated by favoritism. <clears throat> so we can make our kids provoked because we discipline them in an uh, uneven way or because we do some some things not the same with kids and we create undue jealousy right yes. 
So we don't want to have favoritism. Do you remember an example in the Bible where there was favoritism and where it ended up with a lot of strife in the family? Joseph. Joseph, what happened? Yeah, his dad loved him more and he gave him a beautiful multicolored um, tunic and this is something that enraged his brothers and you know the end. <coughs> so we, we shouldn't provoke to anger by things that are causing jealousy, strife within the family and we should not create this wrath by the way we act with our kids either. So, uh, you know, we all do that at times, so we need to be really wise and ask God to change us, so we really won't do that. Yes? I was just going to say, like, the whole family actually has an important history of it. They were on Ishmael and Isaac, Isaac, and Esau, and Jacob, Joseph, and the other brothers. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know if that would be the real reason, but Judah, for example, when he did spend his kids, and they were, like, evil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is also the... <coughs> I'm blinking on the name right now. But there is a, this old man, Eli maybe? And uh, he didn't yeah. discipline his kids. It says, he saw his kids, that what they were doing was bringing dishonor, and he did not discipline them. And they became total fools, horrible folks. And what happened? You know, just tragedy, right? So there are plenty of examples in the Bible. Good examples, bad examples. And so this is all for our instruction so that we would not fall into the same, the same traps. So with that, we're going to do family worship. Uh, I know it's a little bit late, but it's okay. It's actually super simple. So that's something you can do at home. You can buy the Hymns of Grace. It's, um, it's not very expensive. I don't remember the exact price. Maybe it's uh, 40 bucks. Maybe it's less. Maybe you'll have a Christmas discount, so you can order them. Those are this is made by Grace Community Church. They are older hymns and uh, and uh, newer ones. And so what you can do is you can just open up YouTube and you can have like Sovereign Grace music, put the the lyrics and sing, or you can take the hymnal and then um, you can have a couple songs, prayer, and a Bible meditation. So uh, please turn to 225. Go tell it on the mountain. Two twenty-five. Go tell it on the mountain. And um, I'm gonna highlight something else. We saw that submission is just for church, right? Prayer is just for church, right? No. And the singing is not just for church either. We should be singing in all of our life. We should be giving thanks all of our life. We should be submitting all of our life. And so most people, they only sing in church. But we should be singing in our daily life as Christians. And so that's something we teach to our kids by singing at home. So the way it works is like this. You have it here. here. We're going to sing the refrain like this. And then go tell it on the mountains, 225. And then you have one, two, three written here. So we're going to sing this. And then we're going to sing one, one. Refrain, two, two, refrain, three, three. Um, and um, it's uh, soon to be Christmas, so I guess we are warming up to Christmas. Ready? Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain, that Jesus Christ is born. 
While shepherds kept their watching, Old silent flocks by night. Behold, throughout the heavens, There shone a holy light. Go, tell it on the mountain, Over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountain, That Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds feared and trembled When low above the earth Rang out the angel chorus That hailed our Savior's birth Go tell it on the mountain Over the hills and everywhere Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born. And God sent a salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Amen. So I think we'll stop here because of time, but at home you can just uh, have people pray. You can ask your kids to pray, or you can ask if they need prayer for something, and then you can open up the Bible. Uh, today we would have opened Luke chapter 1, and we would have continued our reading through the story of uh, the birth of Christ. And um, so you can do that at home. It's very simple. It's really, you don't need to be able to sing in any way, shape, or form. Uh, as a, a top singer, what you need to do is sing to the Lord. And um, it's a joy. It's really a joy. And it fills us with the Holy Spirit. So praise the Lord. Thank you for coming. <laughs>